Lord, we do come this morning and our desire is to, Lord, bring what little we have to offer unto you, but Lord, to receive what you have for us. And so we ask even now that your Holy Spirit would just move on every heart. Lord, we don't want to hear the words of men because they're meaningless. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that even now you would just open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May they know of your love and your grace and your mercy. And so Lord, we thank you, we praise you. May your Holy Spirit speak. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to see you this morning. So I pray that you will get fed spiritually and then you will hang out and get fed physically afterward. Amen? You know what? I love Agape Feast Sunday. How about you? I just, I love it. It's a great time. We hang out together as a family. You know, and in the Bible, it's back in the early church, they would celebrate communion and then they would have a love feast. So it's not by chance that we do that here. We're just patterning ourselves after the early church. I pray we do it more than just, you know, when we eat. Amen? But we do it in how we live. Amen? All right. Well, this morning we're going to continue in 1 John. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Um, we will be finishing up this book in the next two weeks, between this week and next. I don't know how far we'll get this morning. Um, I do want to make sure that we have an unhurried time this morning of communion. Sometimes I think that we can almost get into a rush, and I want us this morning to really be able to take some time and just spend some time one-on-one with the Lord and to just hear from Him, have that time of intimate fellowship. So last week, we saw, I titled the message, Love in Action. And we saw that the love of God ought to impact our lives, that God's love for us ought to be seen in our love for others and how we love our brother. If we truly love God, we're going to love his children. If you love God and his children, it's made known in your obedience to the word of God. If you truly love God, his commands are a blessing and not a burden. And then finally, if you believe by faith that Jesus is the son of God, you will overcome the world. And so we continue to move on where we left off last week. We'll be picking up in verse 6. And John is going to continue to address the early Christian church. I know this is repeat for many of you, but some of you are new and some of you just plain forgot or you were sleeping last week. So I'm going to go ahead and give you again more background. But remember that the church was facing outward persecution and inward corruption. Mainly one, the main group was, were known as the Gnostics. Gnostic means knowledge. And they thought they had a special knowledge that came from God. And they alone had the real answer for what people needed. But much of what they taught was just straight blasphemous. They attacked the deity of Christ. They said that he didn't really come in human form. One, of the, one group of the Gnostics said that, You know, he couldn't have come in human form because humanity, our flesh, is evil. And since he's not evil, he couldn't have taken on humanity. And he was really just a phantom. Others said that the Holy Spirit only came upon him during his public ministry, that he was a man, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him just for that three-year period of time, came upon him at his baptism and left him when he was on the cross of Calvary. And again, if you say things like that forcefully enough, and you've got a bunch of letters behind your name, and people think you're educated, you know what, sometimes people can fall for lies like that. And that's why that each one of us needs to study to show ourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? My prayer is that this is gravy on Sundays. I pray that you're feeding yourselves throughout the week so that like this early church where so many people are falling for the lie, that we're going to recognize the lie because we know the truth so well. Amen? My prayer for us as a church is that we would be the best fed, most loved sheep around. And that we would be healthy and we would be strong and we would know what the word of God says and we'd be able to make a stand for truth. And that's not going to happen if you eat once a week. Amen? got to be, you know, the Bible says to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. So the false teachers are bringing these false messages. They were, they were compromising the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ saying again that they had some kind of special knowledge. They taught that Jesus was not the Christ, but he had a Christ spirit that came upon him for a period of time. I don't know where in the world you would find that in the Bible. You know, isn't it amazing how you listen to false teachers and you think, 
Where in the world did you get that? Because it's not in any page of any Bible I've ever read. Amen. But you know what? Here's the truth. You know where they get it? They get it from the enemy. You know, the enemy has always been one who will take the simple truth of God's word and try to bring confusion. Many of the early Christians were struggling with doubt and confusion because of this false teaching. They wanted to know the deeper truth. A lot of times people will say that, oh, I want to go deeper in my walk with God. Well, amen to that. But here's the truth, guys. We don't need a deeper truth than the one you're holding in your lap. The Word of God is sufficient, amen? And too often we're looking for the latest fad and the newest thing and the, you know, and if I hear this again, I'm going to be sick. It's organic. This thing's just happening. You know what? Nothing has changed. The Word of God is sufficient, amen? And back in the first century church, they were steadfast in the Word of God, right? The Apostles' Doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. If that was good enough for them, it ought to be good enough for us. Let's not look for some new experience. Let's just get back to that old-time religion. I think we need a little more of that. Get back to God's Word and study it and be able to share it with others. Some thought, what if there is more to the gospel? That doubt and confusion and questioning of God's word had been Satan's favorite tactic from the very beginning. What happened in the garden? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? His first temptation, his first way of drawing people away was to challenge the word of God. And here we are 6,000 years later and he keeps using the same tactic, sadly, because so many people keep falling for it. Guys, it's a time when we need to get back to standing up for the word of God. The search for a different truth, the questioning of absolutes has become the rule, sadly, even amongst many Christians. Some today say, I'm on my journey, I'm searching, I'm trying to find my way. What, is God lost? God's not lost, amen? You know what, it's not us trying to find our way, we're not on a journey. Hey guys, if you've been born again, you've arrived. You're going to heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. You're not kind of saved. You've been saved real good. Amen? Your sins have been forgiven completely. But sadly, because we're trying to reach our current culture and we like to use certain buzzwords, we're watering down the simple truth of the gospel and we're trying to find a new path and a new way. Be careful because that's the very thing that this church was falling into that John is writing to. A deeper truth, a new way, a better understanding. Guys, we should grow deeper in our faith, but it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. You've heard me say it before. If it's, if it's true, it's not new, and if it's new, it's not true. Amen? Let's just stick with what is in the, bo- the book that's on your lap. So experience and thoughts and feelings have been given more credibility today in one's journey to find God than the clear and uncompromising truth of God's unchanging word. Here's what happens. You'll talk to people. The Bible says this, and then they'll respond, but I feel, but I think, but I believe, but I experienced. Guys, your experiences, your beliefs, and your feelings all must be checked against the word of God. This is what John is writing in this letter. Guys, you feel, you think, you doubt, you question, you're confused. Let's get back to the simplicity of what the Word of God has already said. My problem is not trying to understand deeper truths. My problem is living up to the ones I already know. Amen? Lord, help me just to fall more in love with you. It's in times like this that many were struggling And John brings them back to the gospel to draw them back away from the false doctrine and the empty words of the Gnostics back to the undeniable truth of the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Many still question today if we can ever really know anything. That's a new thing, right, in the culture we live in today. Can we really know anything? You can't know anything. You can think, or you can guess, or you can hope, or you can, you know, believe maybe it's true. Guys, that's a mess. What kind of life is that if you can't know? But that's the buzzword today. Well, I think, but I feel, but I believe. Again, the narrow-minded, the narrow path. You know, what happens is if you believe in absolute truth, you're a narrow-minded bigot. You believe in absolute truth? Absolutely. Amen? 
you know what? Aren't you glad that the truth is the truth? Aren't you glad it doesn't matter? Guys, here's the deal. It doesn't matter if nobody believes it. It's still the truth. It's not, this is not, we're not voting on this. This is not the Jesus seminar. You ever heard of that? Bunch of, bunch of liberal theologians. I don't, you know, I don't know how those two words go together. They shouldn't, right? But liberal theologians get together and they decided to vote on the things they believe that Jesus said in the Bible. And by the time they were done, they got rid of about 80% of God's word because they voted that Jesus didn't say it. Now, I'm sorry, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You voted so Jesus didn't say it? How ignorant must man be, how arrogant must man be to think that his opinion is more valuable than the word of God? Guys, this is what is happening. The Gnostics had an opinion. They were authoritative. They were in positions that people admired. They spoke in a way that, that commanded people's attention. And John is writing them, don't listen to the lie, get back to the truth. It's all about Jesus Christ. Him crucified and risen from the dead. Over 200 years ago, Ben Franklin said, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Well, Ben Franklin was a smart guy and I believe he... That was just, you know, he was simplifying things. But you and I ought to know today there's a lot more things certain than that. Amen? You know what's certain? Jesus Christ is God. You know what's certain? He died on the cross for your sins. You know what's certain? He's a risen and living Savior. You know what's certain? He's coming back. You know what's certain? If you're his child, you're going to heaven. Guys, that's stuff we ought to be excited about that's certain. Amen? Amen? And so here's this exhortation coming from John's heart, and that's why you see so much exhortation, because his heart is breaking as the word comes back that these Christians were falling for the lie because the one who delivered the message was authoritative or charismatic. My prayer is that instead of looking at how charismatic the delivery, that we would look at the content of the message. That's what really matters, amen? So we're going to see this morning that Christianity contrary to what people would say, is not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? We can know for sure. We are born again, new creations in Christ. We can know for sure with absolute certainty. When others doubt, we need not doubt. When others are confused, we need not be confused. And when the enemy tempts us, we need to hold on to the truth. And so the remainder of this letter, I titled the message, Five Things We Can Know. Or things that you can know as a Christian. What can you know for sure? And we're going to go over these in the next two weeks. First of all, you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. We're going to see that as our first point this morning. And that might be where we finish up. Second point that we'll see either today or next week. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Have you ever asked somebody, are you going to heaven? And they said, I hope so. Well, they need to get introduced to the God of the Bible. It'll move from hope so to no so. Amen? We can know for sure that God answers prayer. You might be here this morning saying, I've been praying about something a long time, and I have to question that, Pastor Dave. You know what? Sometimes God answers prayer, and he says no. Amen? And that needs to be the answer that we accept, because we're not praying to get our will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth, right? God, bring your will to me. Transform my life. Change me. Fourth thing that we'll see, this will definitely be next week, is that we can know for sure that true believers won't remain in sin. Guys, if you're walking with God, when you sin, you're going to be gripped and you're going to be grieved. If you're not, you're not saved. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he's not going to sit idly by and let you live a life of habitual sin, rejecting all the God you say that you serve and not bring about Holy Spirit conviction. He won't do that. So if there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. We'll talk about that last week, next week. And then also, we'll see that we can know for sure that we know the truth. Boy, that sounds arrogant today, doesn't it? You know the truth? You know. Yes. Yes. Amen? Too often today, we want to water it down and be lukewarm and be acceptable. And don't be so bold because it sounds arrogant. It's not arrogant. It's biblical. It's truth. Guys, we have the answer. We have the hope that lies within us. We ought not be ashamed of it. So let's begin in verse 6. What can we know for sure? You can know for sure that Jesus Christ is God. Not a God, the one and only God. Amen? 
Not one of many gods, like some would teach, but the true and living God. Let's begin there in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now, in context, verses 1 through 5 of this chapter, the emphasis is placed on trusting in Jesus. A person who believes that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God is born of God and is able to overcome the world. How can we have victory in a lost and a dying world? By walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, having lives surrendered unto our Savior. Putting Him on the throne. That's how we can have victory in a lost and a dying world. So John is going to make it clear that the Jesus he speaks of is not the phantom Jesus of the Gnostics. He's not the man who was a man who became, had the Holy Spirit upon him for a few years. He's not the one who never took on substance. He is going to flat out and directly correct the false teaching of the Gnostics so that the Christians would be reminded yet again of the truth. Again, God came to earth in, in, in the flesh of a man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And you can't take away either one of those 100%. You can't say he wasn't 100% God, then you don't know the God of the Bible. But you also cannot say he wasn't 100% man, which is exactly what the Gnostics were doing. Back in 1 John, the first, chapter 1, the first three verses, his emphasis was on this. We have seen, heard, looked upon, and our hands have handled. That was the theme at the beginning of this letter. Why? Because he was addressing those who've been taught this lie by the Gnostics, that he was just a phantom. Hey guys, there are cults today that still say the same thing. Jesus did not raise from the grave bodily. He just came in spirit. Well, then where was his body? It's just not true. It's again, it may seem to some like it's not a big deal. Guys, he must be risen or we are not redeemed. Guys, you cannot downplay the resurrection. You cannot make Jesus less. We'll talk about that more as we move on. So he's not a phantom. He's not a bodiless spirit, but God made manifest in human flesh. And then it says this, this is he who came by water and blood. Now, what does that mean? He came by water and blood. Spent a lot of time studying these two things. And what's interesting is I found four different positions held by people who I respect. And so I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I know which one is right for sure. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what all four of them are. And I'll tell you the one I believe fits with the context best. Okay? And guys, they're all good. None of them is, you know, blasphemous or wrong or contrary to Scripture. But it's interesting how each person looks at these two terms. This has been said it's a, a, one of the most perplexing texts. And many Bible scholars hold different interpretations of this text. And through the centuries, again, people have struggled with what John meant by this phrase. So, through, he came by water and blood. Some believe the water speaks of our own water baptism, and then the blood of communion. And amazingly to me, I read a bunch of theologians who I respect who believe that. that doesn't, now again, those are good things, and yes, that we, need, we should be baptized, and yes, as we're about to in a little while, come to the table, but that doesn't make sense that he came through my water. He came if I didn't get baptized or not, amen? But that's certainly a perspective that they're saying, look, he comes to your life as you surrender your life to him. A part of that surrender is seen in baptism. And then as you come to that place of communing with him. And again, in the Bible, there's only two sacraments really in the New Testament. And here's what they are, baptism and communion. And so many would say that's what it's talking about. You want to have a deeper walk with Jesus Christ? It's not some deeper truth. It's simply you pressing in to the sacraments that have been given to the New Testament church, baptism and communion. Again, many who I respect greatly uh, believe that. I don't believe that makes the most sense. But among those, Martin Luther and John Calvin held to that position. Yet, if that was the case, it doesn't add up with the historical perspective that John, when he said he came by water and by blood. He came by water. 
He seems to write of something that happened in the past, not something that's ongoing. So secondly, you have that position, one that said they believe water, baptism, our baptism, and blood, us coming to the table of communion. Others, including St. Augustine and more contemporary J. Vernon McGee, believe the water and the blood describes the water and the blood that flowed from Jesus' side when he was stabbed with a spear at the cross. You guys remember this, says in John 19, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Now John who wrote this letter was the disciple who was at the foot of the cross. If you remember, Jesus spoke to him and said, you know, basically paraphrased, this is my mom, you know, mom, this is your son, woman, this is your, you know, take care of her. She's your mother now. Take care of her. So John was close enough to the cross that he could hear Jesus speaking to him. And probably he was the only one that was there as everybody else fled in fear. So certainly he was there when the spear was driven into his side. He talks about it in his gospel that he wrote. And some believe that's what it's talking about. That he came by water and by blood. Again, okay, but to me it doesn't make the most sense contextually. You know, it does say in John 19, right after talking about the spear, and he who has seen and testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. So he's saying, look, this was a significant event. Yes, it was. Certainly this event is both significant and clearly refutes the Gnostic teaching about Jesus being a phantom, right? It would make sense. You know, phantoms don't bleed. Amen? Phantoms can't be pierced with a spear. Yet it remains unclear how it could be said from this interpretation that Jesus came by water and by blood. Still others, third perspective, believe that this is simply a a reference to Jesus' physical birth and his physical death. You know, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, that which is born, you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. We need to be born, and then he interprets what that means. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Everybody in this room was born physically, but maybe not everybody's been born again spiritually. And so there are those who say this is simply talking about the fact that Jesus came in humanity, and he came and was born as a boy, a baby, and he grew, and he lived, and then he died. And it speaks of his humanity, which absolutely would refute the Gnostic teaching. Again, many who I respect hold to that position as well. And again, here's the truth. In a way, all of these things are absolutely true about the Lord. But what is the context really telling us? Well, this is what I believe. Just Pastor Dave's opinion. I I don't want to be at any heavier than that. But I believe in context that this is what it's speaking of. And... This was the explanation that was used by the early church. This was the first understanding of what it meant just a hundred or so years after this letter was written and was carried on for hundreds of years before these other interpretations came along. Here's what I believe. I believe that the water speaks of Jesus' baptism and the blood is crucifixion. I believe it's pointing to His time of ministry upon the earth and here's why i believe and while while many others do as well because this chapter is really testifying of who jesus is and as he is testifying of who jesus is there are three infallible witnesses that we're going to see in these few verses when did we see the heavenly father testify of the of who jesus is Well, at his water baptism. Remember that first as he was coming, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He had been baptizing people. And when he saw Jesus coming at a distance, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then after Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water, God spoke from heaven. You would think everyone would get saved right about then. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Guys, to me, in the context 
of trying to get these guys back away from a false Jesus in Scripture, he's testifying to who Jesus really is. And while the others have good points and could fit as well, my personal opinion is this is the one that he was driving to. The beginning and culmination of his public ministry, it began at his baptism and it culminated at the cross. And it aligns perfectly with the context of bearing witness. That you and I can know for sure that Jesus is God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So, the first witness, the water, you had John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You had the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you had the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. The second witness is the blood. The Father spoke at the baptism and the Father moved mightily at the cross. Now, at the cross, the Father gave further witness as the time drew near for Jesus to die. Remember in John 12... Jesus cries out and basically, you know, cries out that, is there another way? You know, is there something else we can do? Can I escape what is coming for me? Guys, every time I read that, it grips me because here's the thing. It's one thing to suffer for someone else. It's another thing to know before the foundation of the world that the suffering was coming and that most would reject you anyway and then still do it. That's the God you serve. That's the God we serve. Now, the Father, at the end of that, Jesus says to him, you know, but Lord, you know, Father, glorify your name. And then his response to the Son is, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. In response to when Jesus was anticipating going to the cross, saying, save me from this final hour. But he said, you know what? Glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, the Father also witnessed in, in, in miracles when Jesus was on the cross. While Jesus was on the cross, the world went dark. That's a God thing. Well, there was an eclipse. Really? For over the whole world? Not so much. That's a God thing. Amen? God can use an eclipse if he wants, but he's God and he doesn't have to. People struggle. Well, how was there day and night before there were stars in the sun? Guys, we get to heaven, guess what? Who shines brighter than the sun? Guys, God is not limited by our understanding. He's greater. So, the world went dark. The earth quaked. We know that the earth quaked, and after Jesus rose from the dead... The tombs that had been split open, people got up out of the ground and went into the city and testified that Jesus Christ was God. Hey guys, you talk about there being a revival, you would think. Amen? You know what this shows you? It shows us how stubborn we can be. How rebellious we can be. The Bible even lets us know. You know, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Go back and tell my family. You know, even if an angel went back, they wouldn't believe. That's what the Lord said. Jesus could walk through Santa Cruz, heal every sick person in a Dominican hospital, perform miraculous miracles, darken the sky, bring an earthquake, get dead people to get up out of the ground and walk around. And sadly, I believe most people would still not be saved. Why? Because we want to remain on the thrones of our lives. Why do people believe that? the foolish lie of evolution. You know why they believe it? Because if they believe that, they don't have to be accountable for their sin. That's the number one reason I believe people are evolutionists because if it's from the goo to the zoo to you, then you don't have to worry about how you live, right? There's no accountability. I can live any way that I want to. But what happened? He brought supernatural darkness. Then he brought an earthquake. And then he tore the veil from top to bottom in the temple. He was testifying that this is my son. At the baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He testifies again at the cross, this is my son. At the beginning and the ending of his ministry. No wonder the centurion cried out. Somebody was paying attention. The centurion saw the darkness. He saw the earthquake. The veil torn. And then he said, truly, this was the son of God. The only thing he missed was this is the Son of God. Amen? 
Jesus didn't receive the Christ spirit at the baptism and lose it at the cross. He didn't receive the Christ spirit. He is the Christ. And he always has been. Amen? He didn't become the Christ. He is the Christ. On both occasions, the Father witnessed to the deity of his Son. Not only by water. Look what it says there. Jesus Christ. And not only by water, but by water and blood. By Baptism, Pastor Dave's opinion, at his baptism, he testified as to who he was. And then again at the cross, he testified to who he was. And then three days later, he proved exactly who he is when he rose from the dead. Amen? That's the testimony. Guys, he's reminding the not, these guys, don't listen to these knucklehead Gnostics who are telling you things about Jesus that are not true. I'm exhorting you this morning. There are people on religious television saying things about Jesus that are not true. There are churches all over this county, that some that might even call themselves Christians, saying things about Jesus that are not true. Guys, we've got to know the truth so we won't fall for the lie. And the only way that's going to happen is we need to spend time in the Word of God. It says in Hebrews, Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered into once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption. Jesus' death upon the cross was required for our redemption, and it fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrifices. Let me encourage you. If you've never taken a look at the Old Testament sacrifices, go to our website. You can download messages. They're always free. Go through Leviticus and listen. Every chapter, every sacrifice points to Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled them all. But when the Gnostics tried to make him just a phantom spirit, when they tried to say that he took on the Christ spirit for a short amount of time, they're denying and rejecting the Jesus Christ of Scripture. Jesus' death at Calvary is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and sacrifices and is a witness to who he is. Jesus is God. So we have one witness, the water... The, the baptism, God the Father speaks, Holy Spirit descends. The blood, the cross of Calvary. And then it says this, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. So you have the water at his baptism, the blood at his crucifixion, and then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the person of Jesus Christ, even as Jesus promised. He said, he will testify of me. When you see the Holy Spirit speaking, what's he almost always doing? Pointing people to Jesus. Amen? He's pointing people to Jesus. That's what he does. That's why when someone says, well, the Holy Spirit was moving, and it's chaos, and no one's talking about Jesus, I know that's not the Holy Spirit. Because that is not how the Holy Spirit operates. Amen? Amen? Well, we were just drunk in the spirit. We were just falling all over the ground and it was out of control and they never had a chance to even open up the Bible because the Holy Spirit just fell on the... If the Holy Spirit falls, Jesus Christ is going to be glorified. Amen? Amen? And if he's not, it's not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't inter- interrupt himself. Amen? You don't have a whole bunch of stuff where there's confusion. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. He proclaims the truth. He will testify of me. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The third witness, along with the Father at his baptism and the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and at the cross of Calvary, and of triumphing over sin and death, the third one, who's consistent in his message, is the Holy Spirit, who says, here is Jesus. You know, he fell upon him and descended upon him at his baptism. And every day since then, the Holy Spirit has been drawing people to Jesus Christ. Every one of us here this morning that has been born again, you are born again because the Holy Spirit drew you to him. Amen? And praise God for the Holy Spirit. You know, we're supposed to worship the Holy Spirit too. Amen? Is he God? Is he an essence? No. He's God. Amen? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
He's a person, and so we to worship because he too is God, but he's always drawing people. Now, we don't have to respond to his drawing, but he is the one who drew us. You know what's interesting? The father's witness of the son, for the most part, is in the past. It happened at the baptism. It happened at Calvary. It happened at the resurrection, but guess what? The witness of the Holy Spirit continues today. Amen? He is the one who continues to reveal to us the truth. When Jesus ascended, what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Prior to Jesus going into heaven, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, you would see, would be upon a person for a specific task for a specific period of time. But when... Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the church, the Holy Spirit is in you, but I want you to go wait, for the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Guys, we went from the Spirit in us at salvation upon us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is subsequent to salvation, and guys, we need to get filled again and again and again because we leak, amen? And we need to be filled afresh. And that's something we ought to be praying for every single day. Lord, fill me afresh. And then he says, you shall receive power from on high and you shall be witnesses to me. You want to be bolder in your witnessing? Don't knuckle down. Don't decide to try harder. Less of you, more of him, and you can't help but share your faith. Amen? As you die to yourself and you're filled with him, you can't help but flow out on the world around you. Here are the testimonies. Here are the witnesses that Jesus Christ is indeed God. At his baptism, the Father and the Spirit speaking. At the cross of Calvary, as the Father brought the miraculous. When he rose from the dead. And now the constant reminder that you and I have every day as the Holy Spirit speaks to each and every one of us. That's, that's worth an amen, I think. Amen? You know, I love that when you see the disciples doing great things, you can almost always just keep reading. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then 3,000 souls were added that day. Amen? It wasn't Peter, you know, the great theologian who knuckled down. No, it was he died to himself and was filled with the Lord. Guys, that's what we need. That's what we need today. The Holy Spirit's witness continues today. The same Holy Spirit that filled the first century church is the same Holy Spirit that fills us today. Why do you and I love each other so much? At least I hope we do. Why why is it when you meet another Christian, there's automatic fellowship? Here's why. We have the Holy Spirit in common. The Holy Spirit in me testifies to the Holy Spirit in you that we are family. And when we have that in common, that's the testifying, again, that same testifying that finds that commonality in us is the same one who assures us so that we can absolutely know that Jesus Christ is God because he gave us a down payment on heaven by putting his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to seal us, to show us that indeed we've been redeemed, chosen, adopted, accepted, assured, and sealed. We're going to heaven, guys. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? Verse 7. Now you know why we're going through four verse, five verses today. Stuff's good. Now, verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Now, there are many verses in the Bible that clearly speak of the Trinity. And I'm going to share something with you. Because I want you to know this so you're prepared for it when a cultist comes to your door. But here's the truth. There are many who do not believe that this verse belongs in the Bible. Many. Here's what many people believe. They believe that this was actually a footnote written in by one of the scribes that was you know, off to the side. And when they copied the Bible, they added this verse. Now, there are a lot of people who believe that. A lot of people I respect who believe that. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible is imperfect. It means men are imperfect. But here's the point. 
There are those who say that this verse was referenced as early as 200 AD. If, that was, if it was referenced to 200 AD, then it was already in there. But guys, I want to say this. If someone comes to you and says, oh, that verse wasn't even in the Bible, I just want you to be prepared that there are those who believe that. I don't happen to be one of them. Okay? But there are those who believe that, and I want you to be prepared so if someone says that to you, you're not caught off guard. But here's the point. Here's the point. Without that verse, we still have hundreds that point to the Trinity. Amen? Even if someone says, if someone says, well, I just don't believe that's in there. Well, first of all, I do, but okay, you don't want to use that verse? Let's go somewhere else. And let me show you a bunch of other verses that say exactly the same thing. Amen? The Word of God is true. And you know what? Some people don't want to share things like that, that there are some who question whether that was in there, if it was a footnote that was added into the text. Or Guys, I don't, don't let something like that cause you in one iota to doubt the purity and the perfection of the Word of God. Amen? Don't let the enemy do that to you. Some pastors I listened to just went right by that and didn't mention it. And I thought, you know, what I don't want to do is I don't want you to be witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon and open up that verse and be caught off guard. Be prepared that some will say that. But that's okay. The Word of God is true. Amen? You know, it's awesome. There's three unique persons and one God. Can you fully grasp that? What's the answer? No. No. And we've tried right? Ice and water and steam, right? Egg, you got a shell, you got a yolk, you got a white. One egg, got a shell, you got a yolk, got a white. Right? You've all heard that, right? You know what? Nice try. That's a good effort. It's a way to try to communicate it. Guys, it's way bigger than that. Amen? There is one God manifested in three persons, and there's one God. There aren't three gods, there's one God. Amen? Because the Word of God says so. But I don't fully get it. Well, you know what, I'm glad, you've heard me say this before, that I don't serve a God who I can fully get. Because if I could fully get Him, He wouldn't be very great because I'm not that smart. Amen? He's so much greater. I still say, I say this all the time, and I know it's going to be true. I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to be blown away. I'm going to get, the, I'm not, nobody's going to go and go, oh, this, this it? I thought it'd be bigger somehow, or, you know, I just thought, we're going to get there and go, if I had known, I would have lived different. If I had known, I would have been more bold in my witness. We're going to get to heaven and be blown away by the greatness of God, and we're not going to be questioning him about anything. People say, I got questions for God. No, you don't. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to be face down on the ground worshiping. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? I've got some questions for you. I'm just wondering about this thing that happened. No. No. Let me give you a few verses for the Trinity, all right? Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Right? There's three persons. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and the Father. John 15. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father... Even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Spirit will come of the Father and testify of the Son. I could go on. I've got pages of these. Let me give you a couple. So we see that there are three unique persons, very clearly, and we can talk forever. Let me give you a few that say there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. How can there be three persons and only one God? Because it's one God in three persons. Amen? 
the Trinity. And I love verse 7 because it clearly talks about it. But guys, if someone says they don't want to use verse 7, we can take them throughout the Bible and show them. Amen? They're all God. They manifest in three persons. One of my favorite verses is in Acts chapter 5. Speaking of the Holy Spirit being God. Some will say the Holy Spirit's not God. Yes, he is. Acts 5 says, but Peter said, Ananias, why have Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy, Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why then have you conceived this thing in your heart that you have not lied unto men but unto God? He said you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he said you lied to God. The Holy Spirit's God. Amen? We could go on all day about Jesus being God, but let me give you at least one verse. 1 John 5, 20, which we're about to get to. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, that we are in Him that is true. And even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Guys, this shouldn't be a mystery to any of us. Why, is, why am I driving this point home? The same reason that John has five chapters in this letter and keeps driving the same point home again and again and again because the enemy is going to try to get you to believe that Jesus is not God or he's less than God or the Holy Spirit is not God or the Father is not God or there is no God or the Word of God is fallible. He's going to keep doing the same thing and people keep falling for it and this is why we need to shout it from the mountain tops that the word of god is true that jesus christ is god and there's no other god besides him amen and we need to be able to do that with great belief and authority and understanding and we can do that if we spend time in god's word verse eight she didn't like verse seven how about verse eight look what it says and these three bear witness on earth the spirit the water and the blood and these three agree as one And again, as I said before, this is why I believe this is the context. The Spirit testified that Jesus is, again, God. The water testified at his baptism, and the blood testified, and these three agree. The Bible says, at the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every matter be established. There are three, these three are all consistent witnesses in telling us who Jesus is. It's not like the Spirit says one thing, and the Water says another, and the blood something else. The water, at his public, you know, beginning of his ministry, God the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit falls upon him. Miracles followed him. His words, he spoke to where no one else could grasp the depths of his understanding. His actions proved it. His blood at his death, he fulfilled prophecy. He willingly took our place. Think about all the prophecy he fulfilled in dying upon the cross. It all points to the fact that he is who he says he is. And then the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us bears witness to who he is, not only at his baptism, but every single day since. They all agree. They're all consistent. You and I can know for sure that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? No questions, no doubts. Don't have to worry about it. We know for sure because of his testimony, because of his ministry, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and because the Holy Spirit continues to confirm it in our hearts even now. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Amen and amen and amen. If you have not underlined that in your Bible, fix it. What does it say? If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. You know, every day we receive the witness of men. We have to trust the words of men. You go to the doctor and he tells you something, and for the most part, oh, okay. Right? Or like me, you go to the mechanic and he tells you something. All right. Now, the good news is I have a godly mechanic who goes through our church. He's been my friend for 25 years, so I, can trust, I trust him with my life, so I'll certainly trust him with my car. But here's the point. The point is this, that we receive the witness of men and we believe them. We believe what they say. Doctor, boss, mechanic, teacher, etc. But we must never let the witness of men supersede the witness of God. Amen? That's what was happening. The Gnostics were saying one thing, 
And there were those who were falling into the trap of taking the word of men and elevating it above the word of God. Now, I had a, I wouldn't say heated, but I would say a uh, passionate discussion this week with a coworker. He says he's a Christian, and, and maybe he is. And we talk about the Lord often, and I really love this guy. I've known him a long time, and I want to see him walking with God. But he's also, you know, very liberal in his politics, which I don't understand those two things go together. If I just offended you, forgive me. The Lord loves you. God bless you, okay? Wasn't my intention. But here's the point. We were talking about abortion. And he said, look, Dave, I know what the Bible says. I know what God says. But we live in a democratic society, and we have to go by what the people say. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Because people voted to condemn, to condone sinful behavior doesn't make it okay. Amen? Guys, let God be true and every man a liar. The word of God is right. What God says is right. The Jesus seminar guys who voted to say that Jesus didn't say stuff, they're wrong. And that's being as nice as I can be. Amen? Knuckleheads, right? How in the world? And how can we, many who even call themselves Christians, say, well, you know, it's a society we lived in and people voted on it, so that's just the way it is. No, we need to stand up and say it's murder because that's what it is. We need to stand up and say, no, but the word of God says. The word of God trumps the laws of man. Amen? Just because the world says it's okay for you to sleep with your girlfriend, the Bible says it's not. Because the world says that, you know, you can drink alcohol and get, the Bible says you shouldn't. Guys, it's not what the world says, it's what the word says that matters. Here we have the Gnostics. They had their own way. And he's letting them know, guess what? If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Amen? Amen. The world says there's no absolute truth. There's no right and wrong. The Bible says very clearly there's a right and a wrong. Amen? Amen? I am so glad the Bible is black and white and not gray. Amen? I'm glad that the truth is very clearly spelled out for me because I need to hear it that way. Some people will say, why are you so direct when you teach? Because that's how I like to be taught. Seriously. When I hear a guy teach, I said, dude, don't beat around the bush and say you might want to maybe think about possibly at some point considering. Stop. Just tell me. (laughs) Amen. What does it say? Tell me. Don't apologize for it. Speak it with boldness. Amen. (laughs) The world says, who cares? God says, he cares. The world says, look out for number one. God says, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Guys, these are in direct contradiction with each other. The witness of man, we hear it, but the witness of God is greater. The Gnostics are saying one thing, but the Holy Spirit is saying something else. Who should we believe? Almighty God. When he speaks, we listen to him. Amen? We listen to people. And as we do, then we need to take time to stop and listen to God. Then he says this. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. The witness of God. And then he says in verse 10. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Guys, this is very black and white. He doesn't say, hey, if you have some thoughts about God and you don't fully understand and relate to Him, hey, you know, as long as you're on your journey, it's okay. No. He says, if you do not believe that He is the Son of God, you make God a liar. You're saying to God, you're a liar. You're saying to God, you're a liar. You know what you're talking about. I know better than you, Almighty God, because I haven't quite arrived at the place where I will confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Guys, He is the Son of God whether we confess it or not. He is the Son of God whether you believe it or not. And it is the truth. Amen? And we must respond by faith and not like the Gnostics. Whose testimony are you going to receive? Sinful man or Almighty God? The Gnostics said that Jesus was a created being, man who only held the Christ spirit a few years or was a bodiless phantom. 
What does God say? God the Father says that Jesus is almighty God in human flesh. He's the creator of the universe. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And he is the one and only true source of salvation. Who are you going to believe? God or man? Choose one. Amen? We're not supposed to do the spiritual splits. Amen? One foot in the world and the other foot. Guys, that's going to hurt before long. Guys, choose today whom you're going to serve. This is the exhortation coming from John to this early church. You know what? There's lies all around you. Get back to the word. There's people saying that they've got a new revelation. Get back to the old truth that you already heard, that you already know. You don't need anything else. You need to follow what you've already been taught. Closing out, he says, he who believes in the Son, the word believes or has faith, has entrusted one's spiritual well-being. Such faith and belief is proof that the Holy Spirit lives within you. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he was not, has not believed the testimony that God has given us his Son. Anyone who rejects Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior, as God in human flesh, is calling God a liar. Now, I'm going to be real transparent with you. I've had people come to me and say, Dave, I think you set the bar a little bit too high. As long as they believe in Jesus, they're okay. Well, guys, it's what Jesus do you believe in? Amen? It's not, it's not just his name, but it's his person. It's not the Jesus for the New Age movement that's an elevated guru. It's not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses that is Michael the Archangel. It's not Jesus of Mormonism who's the brother of Satan. It's the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? The true and living God. There's no middle ground regarding Jesus. And anyone who lessens the person of Jesus makes God a liar. Doesn't matter what position the person holds, not just misrepresenting elements of truth, but we are lying. The Word tells us who Christ is. And it must not be altered added to or taught with reservation we must not apologize for it or minimize it as to render it ineffective i listened to damien kyle one time speak and he said this and i really liked it i wrote it down he said some people can take the message and make it so lukewarm that if it were medicine it couldn't heal you and if it were poison it couldn't kill you You can take the message of truth that people need for their lives to be transformed and be so apologetic for it and water it down so much because you're afraid of offending somebody. Guys, if we're here this morning and we've never given our life to Jesus Christ, we need to be offended. Why? Because the cross of Christ is the stone of offense. Why do we need to be offended? Because we have sinned against God, we've rebelled against Him, and we need to get right with Him. And that's not a... Why should we apologize for the greatest act of love in all of human history that Almighty God came to earth and died that you and I might have eternal life? How in the world is this something we want to water down? Guys, let's be excited about it and boldly proclaim it. Guys, the word of God is not some mamby-pamby, take it or leave it, insignificant opinion of some. It's the very oracles of God. And when I read the Bible, you know what God brings to my mind often? Remember when they were, and we'll close with this. Remember when they were at Mount Sinai? And you remember when Moses was going to go up on, and God spoke, and the ground shook. And his voice came from Mount Sinai, and after it happened, the people said, Moses, you go up and talk to him. We can't take it. There was a healthy fear of God. Guys, we need to get back to fearing God having awe and reverence that when his word is spoken, it ought to make us shake a little bit. Amen? It ought to be something that grabs a hold of our hearts with both hands. The earth shook and the people were shook up. So, in closing, you can know for sure that Jesus is God. You have the testimony of the Father, the testimony of his word, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. You have the water at his baptism and throughout his earthly ministry. God the Father spoke, the Holy Spirit came down upon him, and then his life was an example of who he is. You have the blood, his death, and redemptive work at the cross of Calvary and having risen from the dead. And you have the Holy Spirit 
within you, illuminating the truth of God's word and bearing witness that Jesus is God. You can know for sure that Jesus is God. Amen? Next week, we're going to pick up where we left off, and you can know for sure you're going to heaven. You can know for sure that God answers prayer. You can know for sure that true believers won't remain in sin, and you can know for sure that we know the truth. Guys, the Bible's awesome. Don't you love it? Just can't get enough of it. It rocks. And again, if you're here this morning and you don't know him, may today be the day of salvation. Now, we're going to go to a time of of communion. What we're going to do, the worship team's going to come up, The men are going to come and pass out the elements. Here's what I want us to do. Let's take some unhurried time with our our Savior. Amen? Unhurried time to look back to the cross of Calvary and remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. But not only to look back, to look within and examine our own hearts before Him. If you're here this morning and you've not been born again, communion is for those who've been born again. What does it mean to be born again? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you've never done that, when the elements are being passed, I'll be up here and you can come up and talk to me and you can know for sure that you're going to heaven before you leave here today. Amen? If you ha- Amen. If you have been born again, communion is for you. But as you take it, Jesus says, often as you do it, you do in remembrance of him. So when you look back, look within, And then look forward, because one day we're going to have this with him in heaven. But I want you to hold on to the elements, just spend some time with the Lord, and after an appropriate amount of time, I'll come up and I'll I'll lead us together into taking communion as a family, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you.